Les, uh, please do keep the passage in front of you. Uh, we'll be focusing primarily this evening on James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. So thanks, um, Grace, for reading that. Um, uh, yeah, it'd be great if you keep it in front of you, either on your phone or, or on your um, Bible, um, because, uh, yeah, we need to check what I'm saying. Um, and it is a difficult passage as well. And we're, we're continuing our series on the letter of James, um, which is titled Putting Faith to Work. And, and this week, you'll see, is, is no exception to that. Um, so we're definitely going to need God's help um, with this passage. Um, so why don't I pray before we start? Dear Father, thank you um, for all that you give us. Thank you for the chance to look at your word together. Thank you um, that through your word, you help us identify and root out idols. Uh, please help us grasp what it looks like to be rich towards Jesus so that we can discard the, the idol of wealth. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Right. Um, so uh, I don't know about you, but I think uh, the coronavirus um, has exposed our idols. Um, all the good things in life that we, we take for granted, health, I guess, being one, uh, family, sports, for me particularly, um, and wealth and prosperity. Good things that we we make the ultimate things in life are, are under attack right now um, because of the virus. And, and over the course of the past week, um, and no doubt in future weeks, we'll see these idols for what they really are, futile. Um, our passage tonight focuses on the wealthy, uh, and the coronavirus has brutally shown up the futility in wealth, hasn't it? Uh, within the last week, we've seen that the FTSE has seen, I think, its biggest one-day decline in over 30 years. And sadly, plenty have seen their ices uh, plummet. That, um, their hard-earned savings evaporate and, and their pensions get hammered. No doubt, if you're like me, uh, I certainly did despair over this uh, because it, it threatens our security, doesn't it? It threatens our comforts. And um, I just obviously appreciate that this is, might not be what you wanted to be reminded of on a Sunday evening during our, our virtual service together, but wealth itself, it, it isn't a bad thing. It, but when it becomes the ultimate thing, it becomes an idol. It's a dangerous thing to, to prioritise. So James uses this passage um, to warn us what an idol of wealth looks like and where the unrelenting pursuit of it can take you. Its trajectory is ultimately exploitation and destruction and it, and it damages relationships with others. And with God. So for us today, this passage poses difficult questions. Do, do we fully understand the futility of wealth and the damage wealth can cause to others and in our relationship with God? And importantly, have we grasped that the perfect antidote to this idol is Jesus Christ? So uh, tonight we're going to look through three main points. Um, that you can uh, follow along with me. The, the, the first one is the stark warning James gives us. The second, the trajectory of where wealth takes us. And then thirdly, the impact it can cause, both in our relationship with others and with God. And then we'll finish by thinking through what that means for us. So let's first take a look at the context of the passage and, and the stark warning that, that James gives us. If you look down with me, 
just right at the start of chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. James does not hold back in this passage. What's going on? Who are these rich people? First, it's important to understand the context and the, and the broader theme in the letter uh, to better understand this passage. And because and, uh, of time, I'm going to rush through these, but obviously I'm happy to return back to them during the, the Q&A at the end as well. But in chapter one, uh, if you look back in James chapter one, he outlines the challenges the wealthy will face. Um, but all good and perfect gifts, gifts are from above. Uh, chapter two, we learn that the wealthy are like are likely to show favoritism in the church. In chapter two, there you can see that at the start, and then it gets worse in chapter two, verses six and seven. The rich are exploiting the church; they're, they're actually the ones dragging the church into court. And James says they're slandering the noble name of him to whom they belong. Again and again, we see the church is being influenced by the thinking, the attitude and the lifestyles of the world around them. And chapter five is no different. It's another stark warning. And actually in the preceding passage, which um, I think Tom, Tom preached on last week, and I know that you can listen to it uh, online, and we hear more about who these wealthy and rich people are. So if you look with me at chapter four, verse 13, I'm going to read that now. Now listen again. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this city or that city and spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. There is an arrogance about the wealthy here. They they boast, yet they are a mist. Did you also notice that repeated phrase, now listen? Uh, that, that phrase, now listen, comes up in verse one of tonight's passage as well. James is saying, listen up, you rich people. This is about you. Commentaries have debated who um, chapter five is actually directed to, given that given this is a letter by James written to the church to be read out to the congregation. I don't see why. Why? So why would James single out the wealthy? Well, well granted, in, in chapter one and two, um, I think James is writing about the wealthy generally in society. But at the end of chapter four and at the start of chapter five, he is getting pretty specific. And I think we can be confident that this is directed at members of the congregation, a very, very young congregation, but a, a congregation nonetheless. So we cannot pretend this is about the wealthy out there and not us as members of the church in here, in this virtual space, but in in the church. James is providing a stark warning to the wealthy in the church. Now, for us today in 21st century London, it could be easy, actually, to say, well, compared to the folks around me, I'm not wealthy, I'm I'm not rich, I don't own a house, I don't have a particularly well-paid job compared to others. Aren't the rich people other members of the congregation besides me? Well, don't be fooled. This passage is, isn't just warning the wealthy in the world's eyes. This passage warns us, all of us, on how we should manage our wealth with whatever resources God has given us. Wealth at whatever level can easily dull our senses to the urgency of the gospel. So we must pay attention to what James is saying here. As we take a close look at these verses, as a brother and sister in Christ, please understand that they apply to you. 
just as much as they do the next person. So that sets the context, but let's take a look at the next point. And the next point being the trajectory of wealth leads to, to destruction. Sorry, that was a mouthful. The trajectory of wealth leads to destruction. And we're going to look at the first three verses again. So verses one to three. Let, let's take a look. Um, James brutally lays out before us the futility of wealth, doesn't he? And if pursued completely as an idol, where wealth ultimately leads to, to murder and destruction. From these verses, we see, I think, four characteristics of wealth as an idol. Uh, so you got have to follow along with me. First, it will cause pain. Verse one says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. It's not misery that may happen. It is coming. It is coming upon you. We know, don't we, that wealth brings new challenges, stresses and strains. Wealth actually needs constant attention and care just to maintain it. So that's the first one. Second one, wealth is fleeting. Verse two, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Anything that we collect in this life does not last. Even, even gold and silver eventually corrode. It's a bit like, and I don't know if you can see it that well, um, this jumper. Now, I actually have to stop Olive throwing this out because I needed to use it for this very illustration. But I don't know if you can see, it is a jumper. You're going to have to believe me. And um, there's lots and lots of holes because moths have eaten it. It's rotten. It's worthless. It's, wealth is fleeting. It comes and goes. And then, and then third, wealth, if you see, testifies against us. So verse three, if you read that with me, verse three. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. They'll eat your flesh like fire. Um, this metaphor paints an amazing picture. Imagine the scene of a courtroom. The witness wealth walks in. You've invested so much into them. They're your primary witness. You're hoping they back you up, say, oh, what sound investments you've made throughout your life. But no, wealth testifies against you in the courtroom. And, and, and not only that, this corrosion testifies and it, to the extent that it will eat your flesh like fire. This witness statement from wealth is, is damning. It is painful. It's painful. So there's, there's three. And then, and then the fourth one, the fourth characteristic of wealth is wealth takes you on a trajectory to destruction. Uh, look at the language Jim uses here. He writes about corrosion and, and hoarding, hoarding wealth in the last days. Both corrosion and hoarding often take time unless you uh, win, win the lottery or something. You rarely become wealthy overnight. It happens over an extended period, doesn't it? I, I believe most of us accumulate wealth over time, don't, don't we? So James is warning us here that this can happen subtly. It can gradually corrode our hearts and dull our senses in the last days. And we can fail to have the right perspective as a result. James paints a picture of where the idle wealth can take us. It causes pain. It's fleeting. It testifies against us. And it ultimately leads to murder. If you look at verse six, it leads to murder. 
Now, if you think this is a bit um, far-fetched, and James is being pretty brutal here, well, let me tell you about a guy called Jim Baker, or Jim Baker. I don't know exactly how to pronounce his name. He's a televangelist that's recently been sued in the USA um, for recently promoting, you might have heard about it, Silver Solution. It's a $300 bottle claiming to help cure coronavirus. It's a lie. It, it's fake. It, it's actually dangerous um, to take. Um, uh, so don't buy it. Um, but what this what this um, illustration does show you is how far someone is willing to go to exploit others for their own gains, even if it ultimately leads to these other people dying. Rightly, we're shocked by what James is saying here. Rightly, we're, we're shocked and appalled and surprised that someone like Jim Baker could, could do this. But, but this would not be a surprise to James. James is warning wealthy Christians in this very young church that he's writing to. Graciously, God is using his word to warn us here too. So, so I guess the question is for us. Do, do we grasp the danger of wealth as an idol? Do we see its futility, its testament of our priorities? And ultimately, do we heed the warning here of where it ultimately leads if our hearts pursue it over and above anything else? The pictures of panic, buying and literally hoarding goods like toilet roll have become commonplace this week. And often to the detriment of those who are most vulnerable and, and, you know, and those uh, who are health workers on the front line. It's a reminder, isn't it, that we always, you know, all of us, we, we seek our security and comfort first. And wealth as an idol, I believe, feeds into that, doesn't it? Um, so are we storing up treasures on earth for our own security and comfort? Uh, like um, Grace read from Luke 12, the, the parable of the rich fool. Do we, you know, we shouldn't be like him. His arrogance stinks stinks it, ultimately he, he lost his life so we must heed the warning james gives us here wealth ultimately leads to destruction and you might think Phew, well okay jack thanks this is pretty brutal um it's quite hard hitting uh, amazingly james does not stop here either so he continues on this line and we'll focus now um on how wealth impacts our relationship with others in the congregation and, and, and beyond and ultimately how it impacts our relationship with God as well. So that leads us to our next point about how wealth impacts our relationship with others. Look, look with me at verse four. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who made your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. We can see there is clear friction between the poor and the rich here in the church. And again, to set the context, and I've got help from commentaries on this point, there was apparently a, a severe famine at the time. And as a result, a great disparity between the rich and the poor as a result. We see from the text, don't we, that the poor are being exploited. And God cares about this. He hears their cry. And the practical impact is huge. They're, they're not paid. They don't even have money to feed their families. And verse 6, I believe, um, alludes to the consequence of this. The behaviour of the rich has actually condemned and murdered innocent men, presumably the workers. This week, again, we've seen huge airlines 
asking their employees to take months of unpaid leave. Meanwhile, the owners of these airlines are sunning themselves in a life of luxury, super yachts and tropical islands. The rich people in this passage are being so transactional with members of their own church for their own gain, for their own wealth. Just like the leaders of these airlines. To, you know, to the extent where the leaders here, the rich people here in this passage, they're not even paying them. They're just saying, right, you did, you've done this work, great, thanks, not paying you. Now, it's quite hard, you know, there's, there's lots of ways this could apply to us today. Um, at St John's, you know, for example, um, how we are as employers and bosses at work. I think this definitely speaks to that. Or, or how we view companies that are known to exploit their workers. Or how we can actually have confidence in the fact that God hears our cries when we feel we are unjustly treated by our employers. Or employers, sorry. However, I think it's right to focus on how we can be transactional with our wealth and the impact that can have on our relationships at church. Now, there are plenty of very generous people at church, and we should praise God for that because they give regularly. However, if you see from the passage, there is an arrogance among the rich people here, among the wealthy. And I want us to to ask ourselves directly, are are we being arrogant? it might be that we're giving money, and praise God that that is the case, but are we giving in a, in a bit of a transactional way, in a bit of a give-and-take way? So does the self, if you like, come first in our giving, like the rich people here in our passage? We may give, but we're still putting our own comfort at first. And I was trying to think of ways we could bring this to life and, and give you an example. Um, you know, often I think... Sometimes with church issues uh, in everyday life, we think, well, as long as we can throw money at it, it will be fixed. But do we actually see that practical service sometimes um, is much, much better than an actual transaction? And I, I guess an obvious example right now would be um, a really good thing to do. And don't get me wrong, this is a good thing to do. Is might maybe doing an online shop for someone who's vulnerable or someone... Uh, who's a health worker on the front line um, and they don't have time to get or energy necessarily to get to the supermarket. Um, uh, yeah, that, that's great and, and we should definitely look to do that and seek to serve others in that way. But actually, are we, are we helping them practically as well? You know, are we pushing ourselves out of the comfort zone? So it might be that we're actually taking more time out of our day to speak to these people who feel isolated, who are isolated. Um, or it might be even... Going that one step further, assuming that you have no symptoms and uh, yourself and you're keeping the, the correct amount of distance. Maybe it is literally taking the shopping to their front door um, and dropping it on their front door. So it's not just a transaction. Now, don't get me wrong with all this. It's, it's absolutely right to give money to church and be generous with our wealth. But our heart position in it is key. Otherwise, that giving over time will feel more and more transactional. Having wealth as an idol damages relationships with others. So finally, I think our final point I wanted to close on is is wealth impacts our relationship with God. So it not only impacts our relationship with others, but wealth as an idol impacts our relationship with God. Look down with me at verse 5. You have lived... A life 
You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. So while the rich are exploiting the poor in the church and damaging relationships as a result, they're actually selling themselves on luxury holidays. Their self-indulgence is a life going beyond pleasure here to vice, a life without self-denial. In this wealthy lifestyle that these rich people live, they're they're driven entirely by self-indulgence and luxury. There's no resistance to sin where there is promise of comfort and enjoyment. It's stark, isn't it? They're clearly living for themselves and not for God. All the good things God has given them, good things in this world, are being exploited for their own gains. There is a complete self-reliance and self-sufficiency in their lives. They may say, well, this life is okay, we're not doing anything wrong, just enjoying our wealth. After all, there's nothing wrong with holidays, houses and and well-paid jobs. But it's this attitude putting their faith to work and putting Christ at their centre of their lives. Or are they just getting fat, ready for the day of Jesus' return? They're literally like turkeys voting for Christmas, aren't they? But 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 not only that, they're they're actively enjoying all this extra food that the owner is giving them. And sadly, with the knowledge of their impending death gradually dulling in their mind. Again, it's stark, it's so stark. Wealth impacts our relationship with God. And what is more scary is where this passage ends. We've seen the trajectory, haven't we? It ultimately leads to the rich condemning and murdering innocent men. And that's what verse 6 alludes to. And that's awful. It's a travesty. Do not be mistaken. Do not think, oh, this is way too extreme. This would not happen to me. Well, we'll heed the warning James gives us as his readers. James sees clearly, doesn't he, the, the damage wealth can have on Christians. And if we place it above Christ, it will gradually rot our hearts and lead us to destruction, not only of our own relationships, but ultimate destruction with our relationship with God, separation from him for eternity. You see, when James is being so direct, it's not necessarily just to make us feel bad about being wealthy. He's actually pointing out the sin in our lives, so it drives us back to loving dependence on our saviour, Jesus Christ. Like last week, um, Tom alluded to this, and I think the same applies here. The passage follows on, if you look carefully, back up to James chapter 4, verse 10. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. That is the right response here. And what does that look like? Well, we need to come back to some of the truths we know, don't we? Um, And actually... um, in, in the service sheets, if you imagine you had the service sheet, it would have been the first service, uh, the first verse you would have seen on the front of the service sheet. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It says, in our sin, we're in poverty. But, but remember that. Though Christ was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. We need to come back to that same question again and again, again and again. Are we being rich towards God? Or are we being like the rich in this James 5 passage? Let's continually come back to Christ and remember that he is 
the perfect antidote to wealth as an idol. And if you're here thinking, hang on a sec, I, I don't get this. How on earth can someone be rich towards God rather than collecting wealth on this earth? Well, I'd encourage you to learn more about the generous riches Jesus offers us at the cross. You see, I think it's hard to read verse 6 and the words, you have condemned and murdered the innocent and not think of Jesus. He gives us the ultimate example of what it means to be rich towards both fellow believers and those around him, but also to his father in heaven. You see, he was condemned even though he was innocent. He was rich, but became poor. He he died in self-sacrifice, even when we live in self-indulgence. He was murdered on the cross so that we might live. He paid the price so that we wouldn't have to. So if you're yet to be convinced by Jesus and who he is, look around. See the futility more than now of wealth. The impact it can cause if it's pursued to its final outcome. It shouldn't be hard looking around at the moment to see the futility of wealth. And then look at Jesus and see that he is the perfect antidote to self-indulging wealth. He will always satisfy where wealth does not. Uh, Let's pray to finish. Dear Father, thank you so much for this stark warning in James. Thank you that Jesus did become poor for our sake so that we may be rich in him. Please help us heed the warning and not pursue wealth as an idol, but help us be rich towards you and enjoy the fruit of this in our lives. In your name. Amen.